This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you're listening to the Sunday Twilight Afternoon Show with Maud. It is 5 p.m. on Sunday, the 6th of November, and you can join me live using the chat function. We can discuss today's topic, which is simple tricks to make teaching easy. Welcome! This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out, with Teachers Talk Radio. Good late afternoon and early evening, fellow educators and dear listeners. This is my 53rd radio show as your hostess, and I'm delighted to share this experience in your lovely company. But first, I have to introduce myself for any new potential listener. I am Maud, a French citizen of French and West African ancestry, living in the UK since August 2008. I'm a professional educator teaching in a secondary state school in North London where I teach languages. I also have experience as a kindergarten teacher in the charity sector. You can follow me on Twitter or X at ProfProfMFL. All views are my own. Today I want to focus on a topic that is very relevant to me as an educator, but also as a worker and as a parent of students in the secondary schools sector. The podcast will be on the topic of simple tricks to make teaching easy, or shall I say easier. This is mostly relevant to SLT. The acronym stands for Senior Leadership Teams and it's the people who manage schools, teachers and educators, but also parents and students, as well as anyone interested in the state of education in the West and in the UK in particular, and finally, to the curious and well-informed. So first, I want to look at definitions of terms that we're going to use in today's podcast. And the first term is streamlining. So to streamline, It's a verb, and to streamline means to shape something so that it can be moved or it can move as effectively and quickly as possible through a liquid or a gas. Obviously, in the context of education, streamlining means that we are going to make decisions or make decisions in order to simplify processes in school management, in school processes, so that we do not waste time and resources ineffectively. So streamlining is a good tool if you want to improve management in schools. Why am I talking about streamlining today? It's because schools are very strange businesses. They have an extremely long list of stakeholders, Stakeholders are people who are involved in um, the business. 
so to say. It means students, obviously, but also their parents, the local communities, people who own shops or businesses around the school, people who live near the schools and who park near the schools, neighbors, um, but it's also people who work in the schools, staff, caretakers, cleaning ladies or cleaning gentlemen, uh, dining ladies, and safeguarding people, police officers who work with schools and social workers who work with the school. It could also be an NHS nurse who comes on visits to the school. And then finally, you have the school governors who are involved in the the organization of the school and if it's an academy the members of the trust and the governors of the whole trust so all these people are involved and want the school to function as well as possible now because there's so many people with very very different situations and um, power over the structure we do have sometimes some conflicts that arise Streamlining is making sure there's less conflicts, but also that everything runs smoothly, as fast as a fish in water, let's say. And why am I interested in streamlining? It's because I work in a school and I can tell you that we have to do little decisions. We have to make little decisions every day, but sometimes we have to do repetitive gestures and tasks that make no sense and yet if we do not do that we can we can get punished um to be explicit so it is important to make sure that all is done so that teachers do not waste their time students don't waste learning time and then that in as a result there is no issues with motivation because if humans are faced with gestures that they have to do or acts that they have to repeat and that they value as meaningless, it has a direct impact on their well-being and on their motivation. Motivation is the reason why humans initiate, continue or terminate a behavior. So if you have unmotivated students, they're not going to engage in learning and then the league tables are going to be poor and then your school is going to get a bad reputation. You won't be able to attract or keep staff, and then you will have less people on the ground. If you have less people on the ground, behavior deteriorates, and it's a vicious circle that leads to the closure of the school in worst cases. So streamlining is one way to keep schools functioning and another tool to make motivation work. Motivation in a workplace is defined as something that energizes employees, that brings the most commitment, enthusiasm, high energy level, and creativity to the organization daily. So the best way to measure uh, motivation in the workplace is ask your staff how they feel on a Sunday evening. Did they have fun over the weekend? Are they ready? Are they looking forward to the day after? Are they looking forward to meeting their colleagues again, to have a chat, to talk about what they did over the weekend? Or are they so tired that they're dreading the week ahead? It is really important to be aware of how your employees are feeling because they are the barometer to the whole success of the school. 
What does low morale look like in schools? Well, you have staff that is less patient with students. You have staff that looks tired. Staff that walk slower in the corridors because they are just depressed or they are just overwhelmed. And if staff morale is low, you have more and more people who want to change schools. People go for job interviews, asking for leave in order to attend job interviews. People look into moving abroad, and people uh, actually think about abandoning work with children, which is a disaster because we need experienced professionals. And if they leave, we have a retention gap. It has been published in the Commission on Teacher Retention. It's a final report that was um, available online on the Public First website in June 2023 that we have um, a very big teacher retention problem in the UK. Since the 1970s, working conditions have been going down. Modernizing the professional lives of teachers has been operated, but at the same time, we have less and less teachers who stay in the business of teaching for long periods of time. So there is a retention crisis. And if we want to solve the retention crisis, it's not just looking at pay. That would be too easy. We also need to make sure schools are streamlining their processes. Staff retention is a straightforward indicator if the staff is happy. And yet, if you look at data, for all those who are interested in mathematics, there's a rate of attrition that means that every 14 years we need to replace the whole workforce. We lose all our teachers every 14 years. So teachers get into a flow and become at their best after seven years in the job. If already, after five years in the job, 50% of your new teachers have left, you are facing a major issue. Modernization of teaching is not a political or philosophical preference. It is just a pragmatic response to what the data says. We need to think empirically. We need to think with wisdom and rationality. If teachers are leaving, we need to stop this flow or this flood, I should say. And to do so, we need to streamline because otherwise we're faced with that vicious circle of high staff turnover, recruitment deserts, and the resultant increase in pressure on the remaining loyal staff who are there. And the remaining loyal staff get tired, and then they're more likely to get sick and leave the profession. We have been stagnant over the last 14 years, and it seems that COVID really pushed us over the edge. Teachers and school leaders are describing what they deal with. Rising health, mental health issues, significant disaffection, apathy and disconnection among young people. This has an impact on the workforce. If there's a high level of mental health issues with the students, the teachers, because they are empathetic, I hope the majority of them are, they will also suffer. 
by reaction because we want to face students who are happy and content and enthusiastic about learning. And if we face students who are struggling, having lots of home issues and coming to school in tears, this disaffects the morale of the workforce as well. So it's a ripple effect. Teachers' job satisfaction and their work-life balance has been eroded over the years. The more we ask teachers to be professional and to evidence everything they do, the less time they have to actually do their job. So we are spiraling with a list of responsibilities, even more challenges since COVID, pupil behavior that's really difficult, and also parent behavior that comes into the fore, antiquated working pat patterns where teachers do not have access to flexible working, whereas office workers have been working flexibly more and more since COVID. So this is already difficult to handle. If you add to that toxic school cultures, you have a very dire straight situation. Now, a lot of parents are coming to the realization that teachers do work a lot, but there is still the myth lingering that teachers have it easy and are always on holidays. Let me tell you that the holidays that teachers have are necessary because they are the only time we can recover from intense work periods. If we have seven weeks of term, we need one week to basically reset our biological clock. And ideally, if we have a second week of holiday, that's when we, we are recovering fully. If we only have one week, we are still extremely tired when we go back to school. Tired workforce aren't at their best. We have 1,265 hour rule where we are in the building, working, planning, teaching, meeting, uh, and collaborating with other members of staff. These are called undirected hours. Now, the problem with these undirected hours is that we need a lot of them to be able to do all the new tasks we have to do. Safeguarding can take a lot of time every day. If you are lucky to be in an area where there is lo lots of um, support, financial support and community support with very active churches or social workers, you might have less work to do as a safeguarding officer. But in my current inner city London school, sometimes we have head of years who have to stay in the school building till 10 o'clock in the evening until a social worker can turn up or a police officer can turn up and take the child that needs to be taken into care or that needs urgent social care. So this is unaccounted hours on top of a very, very busy schedule. And this is never taken into account as far as pay or extra off days are concerned. So it is important to realize that teachers are overworked and they need extra support. Streamlining processes comes even more as a necessity. School leaders are aware of the workload that their teachers have to do, but sometimes they forget that if they ask for a new task to be done, they should also think about what other task should they replace it with. So, there is one question we need to practice as teachers in schools is, 
when you are given a new task to accomplish, you should always say, I'm happy to fulfill this new task. Which other task do you want me to replace it with? Because we can't keep piling on new tasks over an overloaded schedule. So we need to get into that habit of always saying, if you want me to do this, that's fine, I'll do it. But tell me what I have to drop because I can't keep juggling with so many balls. If you give me one more ball, I need to drop another one. And this is something that we should all have as a set, a set answer when we're asked to do something else. We need a national conversation and a recognition at political level that the complexity of the job that schools do can't, can't be compared to a corporate business. Too often, the way senior leadership managers are trained is copying and mimicking what is done in the private sector. And when I'm talking about the private sector, I don't mean private schools. I mean businesses, um, people who sell a product, people who sell a financial product, people who sell an idea or a service. A school is completely different. We do not have product. We could be seen as providing a service, but it's much more than that because education is like health. It is a necessity for all human beings. All children, according to the um, Geneva Convention on uh, Children's Rights, all children need to access education, health and lodging. So this is a very specific task that schools have to do. And we can't be compared to someone who makes soaps, perfumes or hamburgers. The way teachers work is dealing with humans. So there is a, a lot of um, empathy that needs to be practiced every day. And if you're overtired and overstretched, your patience runs, runs thin. And this has um, an impact on the way we, we deal with students. It's not just about content and delivery of, of learning. We also have a lot of safeguarding duties that people don't always see. You can't really see all the work that a pastoral team is doing. Sometimes we have to provide financial support, ordering school uniforms, for instance. Sometimes we have to give um, diet advice. Sometimes we have to liaise with social workers and, and nurses. We have to be trained about autism, ADHD, but also asthma treatment. We have to gather data if a child is using their asthma pump too often. We do way more tasks than people imagine. So adding another task to the mix can tip a teacher over the edge. The accountability system that we've created in school is really high. I think as, as high as that of doctors. If a child goes missing during the summer holidays and it appears that the child has suffered um, FGM, which is female genital mutilation, the schools, the teachers and the safeguarding team could be liable legally for not raising the alarm. There is a lot of um, legal and judicial pressure on schools. Head teachers would tell you 
it is really difficult to navigate when you are always uh, blame if you do and blame if you don't. Um, this is why some head teachers are asking that every five years they could be granted a month-long paid sabbatical in order to co complete a new qualification, which is called the NPQH+, which is expertly designed to help them develop their management skills, their people management skills, in order to stay afloat and be able to streamline efficiently. This is not in practice yet, but they are asking for it. So we definitely need to acknowledge that working hours are exist and they are limited, but teachers go over consistently. Um, the, the protected PPA time is the time that uh, teachers had to strike for uh, in order to get an, allow an allowance of time, and it was introduced in 2002. This is to recognize that teachers' responsibilities uh, are, have increased since the 1970s, and they need protection for their work-life balance. They need time to plan, they need time to mark, and this can't just be done after school hours. Although 80% of secondary school teachers have reported that they do not feel their current salary is a fair reflection of the amount of work they put in, they are all going to receive a pay rise in the coming month that was due to um, their striking actions over the few months, uh, prior months. And this pay rise is of 6% this year, uh, much lower than in Scotland. Um, for similar jobs, but at least they will get a financial reward. But as I said earlier, streamlining is what I want to focus on because increasing pay might help. Now, uh, if you are graduating with a PGC and you start teaching from next year, you will start with a salary of £30,000, which is a good starting salary. But this won't this won't deal the, with the retention crisis because teachers are leaving the profession because they are exhausted. So in order to protect their health, we need to streamline processes. David, David Lowbridge Ellis, who is the director of school improvement at Matrix Academy Trust, has been explaining why um, streamlining is important because schools are not just um, places of knowledge and learning anymore, they are seen like another wing of social services in the NHS. So this added task that we saw very well and schools stepped up to it in the lockdown, this added task needs to be uh, understood and taken into account. Teachers aren't just teaching, they're also providing socializing skills, social work, and sometimes safeguarding safety and medical work. So to motivate teachers to stay in the profession, as I said, a pay rise is always welcome, but it's not enough. Uh, they need to receive praise from their SLT, but also from the government and from the parents. Uh, teachers need to get recognition. Um, we need to make sure that there's a, a compelling reward program for teachers who stay for a long time in a profession. Something is some things are done for uh, the people who start the profession, but nothing is done to to encourage people to stay. There is no bonus system, unlike in banking or other uh, corporate businesses. Could we consider 
a bonus system for people who stay in the profession for 20 years or plus. That might be um, something to consider. We also need to um, make sure that they have enough time to prepare their job the way they want it to, to be. And um, this can't be done without, again, streamlining. So we are going to listen to the news and get back to what does streamlining in schools exactly look like. Just Finance Foundation proudly sponsors Teachers Talk Radio for Talk Money Week. Join us from Saturday the 4th of November for a week of incredible guests and thought-provoking discussions on how teachers can talk about money in the classroom. Tune in, be inspired and empower the future generation. Teachers Talk Radio, sponsored by Just Finance Foundation, helping children manage money wisely. Visit our website for the schedule and details, justfinancefoundation.org.uk. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, -face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Covid inquiry caused shockwaves for government this week as it featured comments from a variety of civil servants and advisers to ministers and the then PM Boris Johnson. Language used by Dominic Cummings in WhatsApp messages caused consternation for many, including the BBC live feed as apologies were repeatedly issued for some choice phrases. However, Schools Week have featured the reactions of many education leaders to news that the then Education Secretary, Sir Gavin Williamson, was opposed to face masks in school because he didn't want to surrender to unions. Only after mounting pressure were masks recommended for staff and pupils when they returned to school. School leaders who lost members of their staff have referred to delayed decisions and changing guidance as unforgivable. The inquiry also heard from Lee Kane, a former number 10 director of communications, who revealed that the then PM Boris Johnson said we needed to draw a line in the sand on public spending commitments in relation to funding school meals for pupils not in school. 
Kane said this was a huge blunder and that the PM was told this was not the place to draw the line. Helen McNamara, a former Deputy Secretary of the Cabinet, also said there had been a lack of guidance for women who were or might be pregnant and that this was significant in education given the demographic of the workforce. Schools Week highlights data from the Office for National Statistics, which shows 139 teaching and educational professionals aged 20 to 64 died from COVID-related illness between March and December 2020. The ONS stopped recording the data in January 2021, although COVID deaths were still widespread. Unions have reacted with anger at the reports that lives were likely put at risk because of decisions made by government. Kate Bell, Assistant General Secretary of the TUC Union, said lives were put at risk because ministers were pursuing a petty political vendetta. The Guardian features a report that head teachers and researchers strongly recommend that parents and carers do their own research when choosing a school and avoid making judgments based on Ofsted reports. The article features a series of top tips from school leaders after another Guardian article stated that official inspection reports were not a trustworthy guide to school quality. The piece featured comments from former Conservative Education Secretary Justine Greening, who said ministers should consult with parents over what they needed to know about schools. Other former Education Secretaries David Blunkett and Kenneth Baker said the whole inspection regime needed an overhaul. Former Ofsted leader Sir Michael Wilshaw also told MPs that he no longer supported the use of single-phrase judgments, which Ofsted and the government have both defended as useful for parents. Lord Baker, Education Secretary under Margaret Thatcher, suggested schools be examined on their destination data, describing it as a key judgment for a school because it's important to know what happens to them next. Meanwhile, if you are considering a school now or in the future, the leader's top tip is to visit the school. The article also recommends speaking with parents and pupils, looking at published data such as performance tables and attendance figures, although that data comes with the caution to consider the impact of COVID in recent years. The BBC reports that in Northern Ireland, the Department of Education has announced that there will be no extra money for teachers' pay despite rises in England. Typically, the devolved administrations get additional money when a spending decision is made for England, known as the Barnett Formula. But the 6.5% pay rise for teachers in England was funded from existing Westminster budgets. Therefore, there is no additional money for Stormont to help end the long-running stalemate over teachers' pay. Teachers in Northern Ireland have not had a pay increase for nearly three years. Many teachers in England, Scotland and Wales now earn thousands of pounds more than their Northern Ireland counterparts. For example, from September, new teachers in England earn £30,000 a year. In Scotland, a probation year teacher earns more than £32,000 and new teachers in Wales just under £31,000. This compares to just over £24,000 a year for a newly qualified teacher in Northern Ireland. The DE in Northern Ireland said pay increases were simply unaffordable because there was no funding for the Northern Ireland executive to pay for it. Finally, the BBC also covered a speech by children's novelist Lucy Hawking at an independent Cambridge school. The writer is the daughter of physicist Stephen Hawking. 
and she gave the speech entitled How to Make a Better World to 120 pupils at Sancton Wood School. The speech was given as the keynote address for the Thriving Minds Symposium workshops, giving pupils an opportunity to meet experts in a range of fields. Ms Hawking writes science books for children and described her books as giving them a way into science and technology. The one-day event was held for 120 pupils in years 6 to 10 from schools across Cambridge. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Thank you for listening to the news, dear listeners. So we go back to our podcast topic, which is um, make making easy um, changes to make teaching easier. And the first trick that managers can use in schools is streamlining. But this has to start with a different mindset. And the first mindset change we need to operate is a democratization of decision making. Too often, a head teacher comes into the job and comes with preconceived ideas of how to run a school. But each school is embedded in a local context. And if we do not know the local context very well, we might just make mistakes in the way we reorganize a school. For instance, in my local area, we have a local community which distrusts schools and institutions very clearly. And uh, it's a group of families who are not really keen on trusting education as a way to uh, aspire to change their family financial circumstances. Whereas in a just a ne- the borough next to us, we have families with the same background, same ethnic groups, same uh, social class, who are very keen on having their children getting and receiving a good quality education and who are very supportive of the school. So it really depends on the local community you operate in. How do you get to know that local community? You get to know that by having conversations with the people around you, the neighbours of the school, but also the caretakers, the cleaning ladies and gentlemen, the dining ladies, all the people who work in the local area. And by having this conversation, you can get a good idea of how the local community function there and what to do to start working in collaboration with all the stakeholders. Now, this democratization of decision-making needs to include students and teachers. If you do not get students on board, you will be really having a difficult time. If you don't get the parents to support your behavior policy, for instance, you will be constantly having to get in touch with them via phone calls or letters, or you will have uh, the receptionist having to filter many calls, um, people who contest every detention issued, etc., etc. So it needs to start from the roots and go upward. And decision-making needs to be followed. Um, decision-making needs to follow this. You need to have the conversations first and then get on to making decisions. And I really think that any behavior policy changes should be done in consultation with teachers. And the starting question should be, how is behavior 
What do you think would improve behavior? What can we do to make a behavior change consistent throughout the whole school? And if you can manage to answer these three questions with the students and teachers, then it will be much easier for SLT to find solutions and then apply them with the full support of the teaching body and also the student body, or at least the majority of the student body. So it is a democratic vision of decision-making that needs to be brought in. Too often, we have had teachers acting like CEOs, a little bit like Elon Musk when he bought Twitter, and changing everything according to an idea they've had, but not really taking into account the people who are using the app or the people who are using the school. So my uh, comparison stops there, but it's really important not to think yourself as a little dictator when you take over a company or a school, but as someone who is here to make sure everything runs smoothly and that people are on board with the changes. Sometimes you might have to make decisions that not everybody agrees with, but if you've done all the groundwork of presenting why this decision has come to happen, you are less likely to have um, conflict. Problem solving is important and problem solving starts as a cultural change. If you are a head teacher, you do not have eyes over the whole building, it's impossible. So you need to ask regularly, not just your, your um, SLT members in your leadership team, but everyone who works in the school and students, you need to ask them what they see. I'll give you an example. If you have a classroom, where suddenly three or four or five students leave and change schools. This is a warning sign. What is going on? Why are so many students leaving? So as a senior leadership team, you should call the parents of these students and ask them why they made this decision, just in order to gather information. Data is something we talk about a lot, Gathering data about how people feel when they are in the school is really at the core of every decision making. If you do not know there's a problem, you won't be able to provide a solution in time before this problem has spread. So again, you need to make sure everybody's involved in gathering data. It's like um, a barometer. You need to ask everybody, how are things? Um, are people happy? Is the staff happy? Are the students happy? This is the job of SLT, to make sure everybody's seeing that everything works well. And if it doesn't work well, then you need to gather more data and find out solutions in consultation. So by having a democratization of problem solving, and also of a decision-making, you will improve the running of the school. Now, I mentioned it earlier, if we streamline processes in a school to make it work smooth, smoothly and better, we need to get rid of unnecessary tasks. And you can ask any teacher, what would you happily get rid of that hinders your teaching and doesn't really bring 
any evidence that it improves it, and they will make you a list, some longer than others, depending on which school they work in. I'll give you an example. If I have to issue a detention, let's say a student um, didn't have their homework and didn't have their books. If I want to issue a detention, it will take me 55 seconds. It might seem nothing, 55 seconds, but if you have 12 children in each classroom and you teach four or five classes a day, you might end up spending 40 minutes every day logging detentions. So this is a very simple example. You need to streamline these processes. Make sure there is as fewer clicks necessary to log on this detention on the system and make sure there's a very efficient detention system in place. It will save time and it will save um, the well-being of the teachers in the long run because it's not fun to log in detentions. No one wants to uh, punish children at the end of the day. We'd rather just give them a star and then move on. It's easier to give them a sticker than log on the detention on the computer. We do it because we know that by doing their homework, they're more likely to succeed. And if they're more likely to succeed, they're more likely to go on it to the college or the university of their choices. So these little details add up. And I'm sure um, I'm not the only one when I can tell you that sometimes I, I get tennis elbow pains just because I click on my mouse too often to log in achievement or detentions. So streamlining online with apps that are well tailored for teachers is super important. And also, if an app doesn't work, it's important to ask teachers to trial another one and find the one that works the best. Because sometimes um, schools choose one app, maybe because they have a discount or maybe they have a connection with the person who's created the app, but the app is not functional. So it is important to let the teachers choose the app, give them a selection of four or five apps, let them trial it, and then stick to the what the majority prefers. This is to save time and streamline processes. I would also say that it is important to have rules to make teaching easy. And a very good route, rule would be to have an early leave policy, which means that everybody should vacate the building after six o'clock. There shouldn't be any more clubs after six o'clock. There shouldn't be anyone having to work after six o'clock unless there's a special circumstance. For instance, a child who needs a social worker to come and pick them up. But it is important to make sure that it is the school ethos that staying late is not a good sign. Staying late shows that maybe there's not enough staff that maybe there's a manage time management issue, or maybe there's just someone who hasn't done their work at the right time. So it's important to change that very British ethos of staying late in the office is a good sign. It's not a good sign. And I think it should be modeled by head teachers as well. Everybody should learn to leave school early to show that it is possible to do so, and also to show that it is a job. It's not something you should spend your whole life at, because teachers and 
managers have children and families to go to. What are processes and workflows in a business and what are they in a school? Well, it's simple. Processes and workflows are similar, but not quite the same. Um, there's a simpler way to define them. A process is a set of activities that you do a lot every day, if not uh, every week. And they need to be continued in order to complete a specific go goal. For instance, when I said that I need to um, check that my students do their homework and I need to issue detention if they don't. The workflow is something else. The workflow is the series of all these processes you do and that also need to be continued in order to teach effectively. So workflow is everything you've done and processes are some of the little things you've done. Of course, we've had a series of budget cuts since the years 2010s. They were not particularly to um, increase cost efficiency. It was just because we had lower budgets. So schools have been um, doing a lot of cost efficiency savings. I have to say, I do think it can be a positive thing when it's about using less paper, uh, using less softwares, um, and having just methods to reduce sometimes uh, the waste, for instance, waste in um, in toilet papers or waste in electricity. Having all the lights switched after 6 p.m. would be good. So some cost efficiency changes are very positive, particularly for the environment. But these cost efficiency uh, changes should always be done in order to improve productivity and not just to cut corners. I'll give you an example. This year, um, we have used the same company to uh, print our exercise books, but the quality is so poor that the exercise books just fall apart after a few weeks. We are in November and already, I would say 30% of my students have exercise books that are falling apart. This is not cost efficient because it means that the children will lose pages and that we might have to give them a second book, which might in the end double the cost. So making sure it's about having productivity increase and not just cutting corners. If we want our employees to become more productive, as I said, we need to make sure all processes are streamlined, less clicks and more, um, more um, an ease of access when you use software. Not having to log in and out constantly as well. Teachers spend a lot of time moving from class to class and you would not believe the time it takes to power a computer that's not a very recent model and log in. Sometimes it can take up to four minutes. Four minutes is a long time when you have 55 minutes in front of students, particularly when they are a bit unruly. So making sure you don't have to constantly log in on and off is a very easy way to deal with processes issues. Teachers need to be able to focus on the quality of their teaching and they shouldn't be wasting time trying to log on to, to computers, trying to make the photocopy machine work, etc. If you want a school that works well for everybody, you need to make sure the technology is there and up to scratch.
Now, I mentioned improved communication, gathering data and making sure all stakeholders have an input in decision making and problem uh, outlining and problem solving. But improved communication starts with making sure everybody has access to communication, particularly parents, and maybe sometimes not using a plethora of communication tools, such as social media or paper communication or text communication or email or phone calls. Sometimes it might be better to just use one platform, but use it systematically and making sure all stakeholders know how to use it. And if you are in a local community where a lot of people do not uh, stay in the same housing for a long time because of financial difficulties, it might be actually easier to use paper rather than using um, social media or um, phones. It depends. You really need to. That's why I said you really need to know your local area before you make you make decisions about communication. But either way, whatever you choose to do, you need to be consistent and also update uh, the communication regularly. Not too much, so that it doesn't feel like an avalanche of information. But just giving um, regular updates can be good. And also, if you communicate well on your changes and on your school policies, people will understand it better and agree with it more likely. Um, minimizing risk is another thing I'm really aware of, and I think it would make teaching easy. And I'm going to give you an example. A lot of schools ask students to wear a uniform in the UK. I'm not going to enter the debate pro or con uniform. I think it's it can be very useful at times and it can be very frustrating when you have to enforce it and ch children are reluctant to wear it. But in an ideal school, children have access to a relatively affordable uniform and they all wear it. This is actually a very good tool to promote safety and safeguarding. We know that we are going through difficult times. Everybody who's who has access to media and the news knows that there is a lot of anger at the moment, a lot of protest, um, and this can have an impact on our school communities. So in order to minimize risk, it is sometimes very important to follow through with school policies. So if your school policy asks students to wear a uniform, the uniform should be visible at all times, which means that children as soon as they step a, a foot inside the building, they should remove their big coats, winter jackets and waterproof jackets off their back and fold their coats over their forearm. Many people think it is ridiculous to insist on this, but I just want to make it clear today that it is a safety issue. If everybody wears their coat over their forearm, it means that staff can see the color of the blazer. And we all know that the students are from the school. And if we can see their ties, we can know if they're in year seven, eight, nine, or any year. If you do not have a very consistent um, uniform policy, if you let some students wear their coats inside the building in the corridors, 
zipped up to their neck, you might miss that one student is actually not a student from your school. This is a nightmare for safety if you have an intruder who comes into the school. This might happen more than you think. And having access to the uniform is a way of minimizing risk. So one way of streamlining processes in schools is making sure that the same rules are applied, whether you are in the playground, in the building, in the corridor, or in the dining hall. Make sure you communicate this to everybody, children, parents, and staff, and make sure the rule is applied. This is basic, but it can actually prevent people getting harmed, and it can save lives. No one wants to deal with an intruder, and the best way is to make sure that you can always see who's wearing the school uniform in a building. Assessing existing processes and workflows is what teachers do day in, day out. We are always using softwares, using um, all the tools that we have in our arsenal in order to teach properly. But when we do this, sometimes we have feedback to give on these softwares and processes. So it is really important communication goes on an upward manner, which means that if a teacher finds an app difficult to use or really not flexible, or if it defeats the purpose of using an app, it's important there's a way of communicating this with SLT. And too often communication goes downward. There are announcements and then everybody needs to take it into account and change everything. I think we need more democracy in the way we um, organize our schools and streamlining comes from the user. The user can tell you what is functional and what's not. And there should be regular surveys and surveys that are useful, not surveys that I ask you about your feelings, such as, of, are you not at all concerned or are you very concerned? No, this is, this is just not useful surveys. A good survey would be, would be how long do you spend um, using this app? How functional is it? Uh, what could make using this app more functional according to you, etc., etc. So again, making sure communication and feedback is constant within the school, within the institution, and that every stakeholder can be heard uh, when they have feedback to give on a tool. I'm going to say the word feedback just more time, one more time, because we learn better. Our students learn better when they have positive feedback, constructive feedback. It should be the same for SLT, senior leadership team. And too often, it seems like they do not want uh, teachers to tell them how the school is doing, how the school is working. There is a lack of communication in many schools where the head teacher is someone who looks very busy um, is usually just dealing with the deputy and the finance uh, officer, and we rarely see the head teacher, or we can rarely communicate with the head teacher. I think a head teacher should always have an open door policy, and a head teacher should go around the school and talk to people who work in the school, talk to caretaker, talk to dinner ladies, talk to the cooks, talk to the person who does the gardening. It's really important that 
there is communication and that it's effective and constructive. Why is it important? It's important because a school needs streamlining every day. We don't just once select an app and assume it's going to work well for the rest of the next 10 years. Students change, their needs change, teachers change, department or reorganize themselves. Some very useful tool five years ago might have become obsolete. If you do not communicate, ask to collaborate with every stakeholder in the building, you won't know that something has become obsolete. So once again, adjusting and refining processes or workflows will improve productivity. And it's about making continuous adjustments. We don't want to change everything in one go, but we need to make sure that our employees are trained to use all the processes properly and that the processes work for them. And if they don't, we need to tweak them in order to get the best workflow. It's as simple as that. There should be some ground rules ob objectively. For instance, not having too much um, communication. No email after 5 p.m. should be sent. It's possible to um, schedule sending emails. Everybody should be using this. We shouldn't do urgent communication by email. Not everybody's checking their email box all the time. If there is a very urgent communication, for instance, a school closure due to snowfalls, we are entering the winter season soon. This is going to happen. So it's important to use text messages for that. We're more likely to check our text messages on our phones than an email on a work email box. We need to reduce the number of face-to-face -face meeting as well. Sometimes in a week, we have an open evening with face-to-face -face meetings with parents. We have a staff meeting, sometimes two a week, and then a, a department meeting. This is too many meetings. I, I'm a sincere advocate of streamlining meetings. It's good to have meetings face-to-face -to, -face to bond uh, as colleagues and to meet parents, but we shouldn't have more than one a week for sure. So if you happen to have a busy week with open evenings and you should cancel all the staff meetings so that there's a balance. Same thing with all staff email. It should be an extremely rare occasion when an email is sent to everybody in the building. For instance, for um, lost property, if someone's car keys has been found, I completely understand that we want to send an urgent all staff email. But if it's an email about just an, a small number of students going on an arts trip, only the teachers who teach these kids on that day should receive that email. I think it's just a sign of respect. We should not overload people's email box. And I know some schools have a policy in place, but not all schools. Streamlining is important. Do not send an email to someone who is not involved. This is just pollution. Our mental load is so high. It's really important. We only get very important information if we're concerned by this information. You might ask, um, if we streamline and reduce the amount of communication face-to-face -face or the amount of emails, what is essential to have access to in a school? 
Well, I would say the most essential thing we need to do in a school as far as communication is concerned is about students' well-being and welfare. So I give you an example. If a child is having a really tough time, if there is a death in the family or if there is someone taken into care, everybody who is involved with the child should receive an email and say, flag alert, this this child is having a tough time. Uh, this child is in need of support and uh, guidance and just a gentle remark on the way in or uh, a nice positive hello or a smile. I think love bombing our students who are having a, a tough time is very important. And you know, you know the power of just one smile when you're feeling low. So if we have that policy of um, this is our love bomb students of the week, they need special attention. I think this is an email that I would definitely be happy to read and to follow through. Same with sharing crucial information. If someone um, has lost their mums when they were five, it is really important that the people who are going to teach that child know so that we avoid awkward conversation uh, about um, Mother's Day or are you going to buy a gift for your mom, etc. So these are very personal information, but I do believe that we need to be all aware of it because we deal with young children and we do not want them to have to explain their grief over and over in front of an audience. It is important to also be preemptive. Um, any information that can um, lead to avoiding outbursts or confrontation or conflict is good to have. For instance, if a child has um, difficulty managing their anger, it's really important that everybody is made aware of this, particularly the new supply worker who just turns up. So it's easy to have a seating plan with uh, a color code that says, Avoid, confront, avoid direct confrontation with this child. Uh, try to de-escalate as much as possible. This child is really interested in such and such or this sport or something. Mention it in order to avoid conflict. It's such a sad state of affairs when someone is placed in a position where they said the wrong thing and then it escalates and then the child has to be removed and punished just because they didn't have the information. So I think it's really important that we are given this information, however private that is, for the sake of being preemptive about conflicts. Another example, um, some children are self-harming. This is something that is spreading a lot in the UK at the moment, it deals with mental health and the lack of uh, NHS support for children who have mental health crisis. Self-harm is a problem because it spreads. So it means that if a child is um, showing signs of self-harm, they might also encourage other children to do the same. So you end up having groups of friends who are um, egging each other and encouraging each other to self-harm. So it's important to target the people who are self-harming and sometimes remove them when it's getting out of control in order for the self-harm not to spread to other children in the vicinity. So sometimes information has to be shared, even private information. But it is all about streamlining and 
the workflow. So you need to know which type of information you have to share and which information is not um, important to share. As I said earlier, it is also very important that some rules are non-negotiables. I mentioned the not wearing a coat, a winter coat over the blazer, and I explained it was for safety in case of uh, an intruder. I will reiterate as well that some, some parents and some uh, members of staff see running in the corridor as something that children do. Running in the corridor is an absolute no-no because we have members of staff who could be pregnant or we also have members of staff who suffer from osteoporosis or who have hidden disabilities. There is nothing worse than a child who's running in the corridor and then a teacher who just walks in front of that child and falls over and breaks a leg or something. It is really important that we respect that not everybody is fit and hale in the school building. And it is uh, about safeguarding staff as well as other students. We might have other students with disabilities, hidden disabilities. So running is not something that should be accepted in any schools. This is something we do on the sports ground or the fields. And these rules should not even be um, infringed. I would add to that the no phone and no loitering in toilet or corridors for safety and safeguarding issues, obviously. Um, this is something that we need support from on uh, the side of the parents, and this is why it is so difficult. But before we talk about what can parents do to make uh, teachers' work easier, uh, let's listen to the news once more. Just Finance Foundation proudly sponsors Teachers Talk Radio for Talk Money Week. Join us from Saturday the 4th of November for a week of incredible guests and thought-provoking discussions on how teachers can talk about money in the classroom. Tune in, be inspired and empower the future generation. Teachers Talk Radio, sponsored by Just Finance Foundation, helping children manage money wisely. Visit our website for the schedule and details, justfinancefoundation.org.uk. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today Thank you for listening to uh, the announcers. Now we go back to what can parents do to help teachers um, make their teaching easier. There's a few simple tricks and they were gathered by some um, teachers who also happen to be parents. So for secondary school teachers, what are the tricks to make teaching life easy? Well, 
I think a lot of teachers are going to agree that taking phones and making sure they do not come into the buildings with their mobile phone during school hours is at the top of the list. Now, another thing that parents can do to make teaching life easy for teachers is to check the grades of their child and their attendance and make sure that the children uh, do not miss assignments. So keeping an eye on the schoolwork that the children have to do at home is really important. We do not expect all parents to come to parents' evening and attend board meetings, but if they could, that would be phenomenal. Also, it seems like it's basic, but in a lot of um, deprived areas and, and also sometimes very wealthy suburbs, some parents forget that the basic needs of children need to be fulfilled in order for them to learn better. So make sure your child sleeps enough, uh, has breakfast, has something to eat for lunch, and that they are not going to bed too late so that they don't fall asleep in class. This is a simple thing to do, but too many children do not have lunch or breakfast. Please, parents, it's a basic, basic need. Another teacher who works in a primary school says that parents, in order to make teaching life easier, should stick to having clear consequences. Teaching the child some coping skills and um, some strategies if they're not um, doing well with coping skills. Being present when the children come home and asking them how they are. Um, making sure that their online use is controlled. And also reading with them, asking them questions about what they read and discussing it at the dinner table. And if it teacher mentions that homework needs to be done, devoting five minutes on a Sunday night to check that the homework is done would go the extra mile and would be much appreciated by the teacher. Another thing that some teachers have asked parents to do, a simple trick to make teaching life easier, is to ask questions about behavior instead of rejecting it. So if a teacher spends time issuing a detention, it's not because they enjoy it, they'd rather go home, they'd rather spend time with their own children. If they do, it's a necessity. If they call a parent, it's a necessity. So it would be nice if the, teach the teacher could express what they have to express and the parent could just listen to the teacher. And then if they want to, they can ask their child and see the discrepancy in uh, um, what they relate, but it is important that they do not reject the behavior issue at first hand. Another um, trick that teachers are asking parents to do to help teaching life is to keep sick children at home. If your child is sick, please let your child stay home because we do not want to spread the disease. We do not want to get sick ourselves. So please, please, please keep your child who's sick at home. And now, what can teachers do to make teaching life easier? We've seen what SLT can do, streamlining processes, adding more democracy in the decision-making and the data gathering and the problem identification. Now, what can teachers do? Well, um, teachers can also support their head teacher. It goes both ways, doesn't it? Um, the I love that um, 
acronym by John Dunford. He was the former general secretary of ASCL. And uh, he said that a head teacher or a leader needed four H's, which stands for hope, humanity, humility, and humor. So hope, humanity, humility, and humor. And I think that everybody works with children or other human beings for that matter. If you're a gardener, that might not be so difficult. You work with plants. But if you are working with humans day in, day out in a school with hundreds of them, having hope, humanity, humility, and humor is definitely a lovely, a lovely idea. Um, now, so what can teachers do? Well, my take on how to make teaching life easy is to reach out when you're suffering and sharing your experiences. You can do that online, on social media. You can do that uh, with friends who are teaching, but please don't keep um, the pain that you experience in the workplace because it, it would fester. So share, speak, talk about it, and if necessary, uh, talk to a therapist if uh, you feel the need. Find a hobby and stick to it is my other advice. Uh, this is why after this podcast, I'm going to try and do some yoga because it's good for me. And you can also use your hobby in school and offer yoga sessions, for instance, to other members of staff. Do not overindulge with food and alcohol. Um, it is tempting to have a glass of red wine after a difficult day. Try and switch the ritual to something harmless. I'm starting to make um, fresh mint herbal tea. It's delicious. And just, you know, the whole ritual of preparing the teapot and, and having the fresh mint and, and smelling the fresh mint, it has healing powers. So please, rather than reaching for sugar or alcohol, try and find a, a healthier ritual. Exercise, exercise, exercise. I know it sounds easy, but... If you can run, run. If you can cycle, cycle. If you can swim, swim. If you can just do meditation uh, with a, a tutorial from YouTube, do it. It does help. Socialize with colleagues as well. It's good to see that we are all facing the same difficulties. Uh, but don't forget not to blur boundaries. Uh, keep it still professional, even though you socialize. Leave school at 4 p.m set the clock and be super strict about it and if you have to leave stuff undone do it leave school at 4 p.m and uh, slt should put a 6 p.m curfew the school buildings should be dark for saving energy and people should be going home at 6 p.m uh, in any situation uh prepare all printing ahead that's what i do um it makes my life easier and sometimes i have more students or sometimes less you can always get uh, last minute printing done but try and prepare your printing ahead S try to schedule positive phone calls home once in a while just to cheer ch cheer you up and uh, it's a good morale booster the parents will be delighted you'll be delighted and it's enjoyable uh, pat yourself on the back when you do something good for instance you've managed to do all your printing just give yourself a pat and um, try and encourage yourself. You don't need someone else to give you that reassurance. You can do that to yourself. Um, avoid unnecessary tasks. I say ignorance is bliss. You didn't know you had to do this. Oh, well, it's, it's not done. The world will keep turning. Rant and complain to um, trustful ears. 
not just your partner, because sometimes they're bored with our school stories, but if you have a trusted colleague, have a rant, have a complaint, and then you'll feel better about it. Put on a silly movie, uh, whatever rocks your boat. If it's a horror movie, it's the season, uh, just do it, but enjoy simple pleasures. Plan a holiday if you're wealthy enough. Um, do CPDs, try out new ideas. Sometimes it can change your life to have uh, just a good tip or a good piece of advice. Keep your teaching fresh and um, don't be afraid to try new things, even if it doesn't work. Failure is absolutely fine. Do the bare minimum in lesson planning. Find your template that you enjoy and use it because children with special educational needs like consistency and routine so they like traditions and rituals so stick to what you know and do well um, don't reinvent the wheel make make something that works for you and don't change it you can always add things to it but keep that structure that guideline um, similar and then focus on what you can do and if you can't do anything about a situation don't beat yourself up you're not superman you can only do what you can do. So these were my simple tricks to make teaching life easier. It's a whole school approach, obviously. Um, if SLT is not on board, it's really difficult to instill change in a community. But if everybody has um, enthusiasm and a desire to change things, you might see that we can turn things around. So I hope you find this useful. I wish you a lovely Sunday evening and um, until then, have um, a wonderful week. Thank you. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. Just Finance Foundation proudly sponsors Teachers Talk Radio for Talk Money Week. Join us from Saturday the 4th of November for a week of incredible guests and thought-provoking discussions on how teachers can talk about money in the classroom. Tune in, be inspired and empower the future generation. Teachers Talk Radio, sponsored by Just Finance Foundation, helping children manage money wisely. Visit our website for the schedule and details, justfinancefoundation.org.uk. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. 
In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, -face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly and access actionable data that drives student success. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Covid inquiry caused shockwaves for government this week as it featured comments from a variety of civil servants and advisers to ministers and the then PM Boris Johnson. Language used by Dominic Cummings in WhatsApp messages caused consternation for many, including the BBC live feed as apologies were repeatedly issued for some choice phrases. However, Schools Week have featured the reactions of many education leaders to news that the then Education Secretary, Sir Gavin Williamson, was opposed to face masks in school because he didn't want to surrender to unions. Only after mounting pressure were masks recommended for staff and pupils when they returned to school. School leaders who lost members of their staff have referred to delayed decisions and changing guidance as unforgivable. The inquiry also heard from Lee Kane, a former number 10 director of communications, who revealed that the then PM Boris Johnson said we needed to draw a line in the sand on public spending commitments in relation to funding school meals for pupils not in school. Kane said this was a huge blunder and that the PM was told this was not the place to draw the line. Helen McNamara, a former deputy secretary of the cabinet, also said there had been a lack of guidance for women who were or might be pregnant and that this was significant in education given the demographic of the workforce. Schools Week highlights data from the Office for National Statistics which shows 139 teaching and educational professionals aged 20 to 64 died from Covid related illness between March and December 2020. The ONS stopped recording the data in January 2021 although COVID deaths were still widespread. Unions have reacted with anger at the reports that lives were likely put at risk because of decisions made by government. Kate Bell, Assistant General Secretary of the TUC Union, said lives were put at risk because ministers were pursuing a petty political vendetta. The Guardian features a report that head teachers and researchers strongly recommend that parents and carers do their own research when choosing a school, and avoid making judgments based on Ofsted reports. The article features a series of top tips from school leaders after another Guardian article stated that official inspection reports were not a trustworthy guide to school quality. The piece featured comments from former Conservative Education Secretary Justine Greening, who said ministers should consult with parents over what they needed to know about schools. Other former Education Secretaries David Blunkett and Kenneth Baker said the whole inspection regime needed an overhaul. Former Ofsted leader Sir Michael Wilshaw also told MPs that he no longer supported the use of single-phrase judgments, which Ofsted and the government have both defended as useful for parents. Lord Baker, Education Secretary under Margaret Thatcher, suggested schools be examined on their destination data, 
describing it as a key judgment for a school because it's important to know what happens to them next. Meanwhile, if you are considering a school now or in the future, the leader's top tip is to visit the school. The article also recommends speaking with parents and pupils, looking at published data such as performance tables and attendance figures, although that data comes with the caution to consider the impact of COVID in recent years. The BBC reports that in Northern Ireland, the Department of Education has announced that there will be no extra money for teachers' pay, despite rises in England. Typically, the devolved administrations get additional money when a spending decision is made for England, known as the Barnett formula. But the 6.5% pay rise for teachers in England was funded from existing Westminster budgets. Therefore, there is no additional money for Stormont to help end the long-running stalemate over teachers' pay. Teachers in Northern Ireland have not had a pay increase for nearly three years. Many teachers in England, Scotland and Wales now earn thousands of pounds more than their Northern Ireland counterparts. For example, from September, new teachers in England earn £30,000 a year. In Scotland, a probation year teacher earns more than £32,000 and new teachers in Wales just under £31,000. This compares to just over £24,000 a year for a newly qualified teacher in Northern Ireland. The DE in Northern Ireland said pay increases were simply unaffordable because there was no funding for the Northern Ireland executive to pay for it. Finally, the BBC also covered a speech by children's novelist Lucy Hawking at an independent Cambridge school. The writer is the daughter of physicist Stephen Hawking and she gave the speech entitled How to Make a Better World to 120 pupils at Sancton Wood School. The speech was given as the keynote address for the Thriving Minds Symposium workshops, giving pupils an opportunity to meet experts in a range of fields. Ms Hawking writes science books for children and described her books as giving them a way into science and technology. The one-day event was held for 120 pupils in years 6 to 10 from schools across Cambridge. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.